Hello and welcome to another episode. Uh, my name is Ross. I'm Craig. It's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Right, if you actually managed to make that <laughs> a very short space of time, which you probably didn't, uh, in the news today, Craig, take it away. I mean, they could have paused, but okay. Um, so the first piece of news today is Vault have confirmed they are going to open their Gigafactory in South Wales, in uh, Raw Tatham, which is the former Air Force base, which happens to be where Aston Martin are currently now. Um, I, as far as I know, Aston Martin will remain there too. So that yeah. might be a good partnership since uh, Britvolt will be producing um, 30 gigawatt batteries, uh, the first in the UK. Yeah. So, I don't know. Aston Martin could be a really good customer, perhaps. We don't know. But... Um, they need something. Yeah. So, based on... We, we talked about this before. Uh, you talked about Tesla potentially being across the channel. That could yeah. still be a thing. Although, weirdly, uh, been on that one. I've not heard anything else on that. Yeah, but until that's been confirmed, at least for now, we'll have Britvolt um, on the course of uh, the Vale de Morgan. Um, it's looking to bring roughly 3,000 jobs to the area, which is pretty cool. Um, and they've invested up to 1.2 billion. So it's a big investment from an otherwise out of the blue company. Uh, they're only looking to list themselves on the London Stock Exchange next year. And they're looking to build this and finish it by the second quarter of 2021. So about a year. That's really quick turnaround. Yeah. And, and one for my stock update maybe in a year from now. Actually, yeah. I mean, they're going to look good being the first in Britain. Um, this seemed to happen quite quick. Maybe they know something we don't about Tesla coming. Mm. Don't know. Hmm. But uh, we can come uh, back in the future. Charles know. I mean, everyone knows. Except no media has been mentioned other than the initial rumor. That's it. Yeah, it's kind of slowed down since. Um, in other news, talking about um, actually, yeah, there's no segue at all. Um, in, invisible light, <laughs> invisible light can now be harnessed by solar power cells. It's a, it's a major breakthrough. Sorry, when you say invisible light, do you mean like? You just mean the, the light that it already exists that just isn't in our visible spectrum? Yes. Infrared, ultraviolet, all those bands of uh, light radiation that um, yeah, we can't see. So right now, the photovoltaic cells collect visible light yes. and only a small percentage of it because efficiencies are still relatively low. But now we have the ability to um, up-convert low-level light, such as ultraviolet, uh, into essentially higher-level light, like visible light, that we can then convert into electricity. Um, it's been seen as a major breakthrough since the majority of light is not visible to us. So we don't see... Um, so um, you, do you know, does that increase the amount of time? Is there like, is there periods where the we don't get we get infrared light that's outside of the normal 
time frame i therefore can they be used can't say how they could be used in night time surely there's no light but um, yeah i think it's at least the sun as far as i'm aware yeah but it's just it's just got more because surely the rays still hit it at a certain rate you're just saying that they could t they could capture more of it at, when it hits yes so you've got a full wavelength of light um, we can only see, I don't know, X percent, which is quite small. We can now capture a greater percentage of that light. So potentially, uh, that means on a cloudy day, maybe you were trying to mention, um, you've got less, less visible light. You, you can sell sunburn, which means it's still ultraviolet getting through. Gotcha. So we can now collect that, which is pretty cool. Uh, that was announced today uh, as a breakthrough by Australian scientists, where they'll be testing it up which makes sense. They, they can probably make use of this quite a lot more than we can. And the process is called photochemical up conversion. Um, it just basically changes low level light into higher level light for energy consumption. Like Pretty it. Cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. So that, that makes uh, solar power, uh, solar panels a lot more feasible perhaps, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, because the, well, the issue we've got at the moment is is that you like you can't put them on cars at the moment because it's just not they're not going to produce enough from the amount of space that they take up. Mm. So, sort of a while someone has made a car which is entirely run on the solar panels, they literally had to cover it every single inch of it in order in order to achieve it. So, uh, and even if they made it a meaningful contribution towards the car, I still think if you can have an electric car with a solar panel on top, even so that you can just pick up some just not one mile every hour because <laughs> that would be pointless yeah i mean let's go really slow but um uh yeah there's no actual stats on how much this is going to improve things the, the general assumption is that it will improve things but we don't know how much i mean let's say optimistically it doubles the percentage of light we get you know that could be that could be major so yeah. i mean half the amount of cells on the roof for example same job that's something that would be amazing. Um, and my third piece of news is, do you remember a few weeks back we discussed the absolute shambles of Uber and how they were dumping a lot of their jump bikes? Yes, yes. Thousands of them. They weren't even going to break them down to parts. They were just literally going to scrap them. Okay. And so... Today, uh, it's been announced that a non-profit called Shared Mobility Inc. has stepped in and taken all of them off Uber. And they're going to produce what they call in a transportation library uh, for free to anyone who wants them. Good. Well done, them. Yeah, so well done, Shared Mobility. <laughs> Round of applause. They, uh, <laughs> uh, they, yeah, there they was... Uh, there was obviously a lot of controversy over them doing this and uh, it was just some sort of cost-saving exercise but um yeah ultimately they've now been saved um unfortunately we're not going to see them in the uk the only reason it's part of the news is because we discussed them previously um the first three thousand of these bikes would be given to new york with a further two thousand or so given probably in the us still to other states so the UK may not see these, which would be a bit of a shame. But it's nice to know they've been saved. So where were the bikes from originally? 
Um, I'm not sure. They, I don't think they've saved all of them. They've only saved a percentage. So oh. they've received half already. So maybe they only deal in the US. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into shame ability themselves. Maybe they only operate in the US. Well, yeah, transportation library. New future. Sounds great. <laughs> oh, I forgot I forgot to take the book, the uh, the, the bike back. <laughs> I get a stamp now and then I get a fine. Damn it. Um cool. That's nice. Yes, right that one. Well well done, Uber, for fixing your stupid situation. Uh, I mean, it's definitely well done Uber. It's well done shared mobility. Inc. Well, yes, but you know, Uber had to say yes, I suppose. Part of back to Uber for uh, finding a way to get rid of it for free other than crushing them. Yeah. And, and well done to all the media agencies and people that moaned about Uber for being morons. Yes. You're objective. <laughs> well done. Uh, all right, well, I've got some news if you want it. Oh, yeah. Fire away. Um, starting with now. I'm going to call her Greta Thunberg, which I believe is her actual name, although most people know her as Greta Thunberg, but I believe it's her name. She won an award, uh, a humanitarian award, to the total value of one million euros, um, which she then promptly uh, donated immediately to projects that are tackling the climate crisis. So she continues to be a legend. That was, that was it. I just thought I'd start with a bit of nice, positive good news. Well done, her. Cool. Nice call to Greta. <laughs> Here's a million quid. Ah, I'll give it to someone else. It's fine. <laughs> uh, in not so good news, uh, River Thames, the, for those of you watching abroad, we have had some people listening in Australia, haven't we? Uh, for those people, the River Thames is the main river in London. Uh, known for having I don't know, dead people, trolleys, all sorts of horrible stuff in there. Um, and they dead they, people uh, at one point, yeah, in like the 1600s. But anyway, um, that's it's since been cleaned up. However, even after it's been cleaned up, it is apparently very, very severely polluted with plastic. Um, and according to the BBC article that I read, scientists estimate 94,000 microplastics flow every second second yeah um no, we don't know how... mic microplastics small yeah yeah little small fragments of it so you know kind of explains why it's not for that but um but yeah it's basically it's uh, it's been measured to be worse than other measured european rivers um and aside from the regular offenders like plastic bottles and things like that uh, wet wipe seems to be a particular problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I get leaflets through the door actually from Welsh Water saying, don't pour wet wipes in the toilet, please. Yeah, and these maybe once every six months. I mean, they were particularly referencing the ones that are classed as flushable wet wipes. Mm. And I know uh, in, a, in an old place I live, um, there was a and we were using flushable wet wipes. Don't know whether I was directly involved, but there was a blockage on the same street or whatever because of wet wipes. So it's a problem. <laughs> now, it's probably, yeah. it's probably a different episode. Maybe we should revisit this again. But, um, but for those people that have kids, um, I remember when, uh, for my son, I did look into it 
in quite a bit of what alternatives there are. And there are actually alternatives now. Uh, they're not all, lots of them claim to be res not recyclable, um, compostable and um, disposable in the sense that, or sorry, biodegradable. I think most of them are like are only, they'll only degrade under certain perfect conditions of which they won't get if they're just stuck in a landfill. Um, but there, uh, there are other ones, obviously there's cloth nappies, which have got a bit of a stereotype of being really awkward, but actually some of them are quite not bad now. They're, they're, they're okay. And there's other ones where it's like a two in one. So like you have an outer layer and an inner layer and one of them you throw away and the other one you can reuse. Um, so yeah. And wet wipes equally, there's, there's stuff like that too. So if you have kids, you have kids, don't you? You should look, I, I, I implore you to self-educate on that particular issue because yeah, I mean, as you said, different subject. I've looked into cloth nappies and I've never been convinced of the benefits personally. Um, my wet wipes typically stay in the nappy and they go to landfill, I would assume, with the nappy itself. Yeah, so those nappies don't degrade most of them anyway. But no, um, I'd have, have another look at cloth nappies because there is the, the, I can't remember which one it is. So maybe we do do this another episode, but there are some brands which are actually quite good so yeah i'll just power into the nappy stage one you're left <laughs> well yeah i know but i mean like if you want to count the number of nappies that is it's a lot of nappies i mean it's at least 60 a month yeah moving on um rather than me lecturing you uh <laughs> so the vivaro e previously mentioned due to british gas ordering some of them um now available for everyone to order now interestingly the the price after price reductions it's coming in at twenty seven thousand for basically a panel van which i thought wasn't bad i mean the caveat is the the range the range for the smaller battery vehicle is only 140 miles mm. which is not much better than my to be honest it's, it's about 50 percent better but it's i would say enough um but the first thought i had when i saw it was it would make a jolly good electric camper van yes i was thinking the exact same thing when you said it put a yeah. bed in the back of that thing it's good it's got exactly the same cubic uh, capacity as a vw transporter um mm. short wheelbase one um which has been converted too many times um so it clearly that that sort of size does work and it's it's an electric car at twenty seven thousand, it sounds cheaper than a transport transports in the 30 odd range i thought oh yeah i mean so obviously it should be 35 but it's got mm. thousand knocked off it so Bargain. yeah i mean i would i mean as long as you you have to decide whether you're going to sort of like you can probably drive about two and a half to three hours distance before you would have to you know stop again so as long as your campsites aren't more than three hours apart should be all right so based on the uh, last news we had with um nissan dropping the charging more charging scheme yeah. to standardize uh do these guys standardize too uh what to ccs yes 
that's an excellent question, which, which I do not know yet. I would presume it is, but let me see if I can find out the answer for you. Uh, Hope so now. That seems to be the market direction. Uh, does it say it has a CCS connection? Yes, it does. Ah, perfect. Okay. So, Chargemo is no more. Chadamo is no more. Chadamo. Yeah. I know it's Chadamo or Chadamo, but. Ah, uh, who cares? They're gone. Yeah, screw them. <laughs> Except that that's what I use. So, yeah. Phase out slowly, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, trouble as it is. Um, right. So that's that's those guys. Um, also in uh, electric car news for the UK, we have the VWID3 is also now available to order. However, caveat, only for those that had already put down a £750 deposit. So unfortunately, that's not news for anyone who isn't already in the know. Um, but it basically means it's coming pretty soon. Uh, the VWID3 is a... £38,000 car. I think that's what the higher end version. I think they're doing the same as Tesla where they sell the higher end version first and then bring out the lower cost of version later. Uh, it's got a 260 mile range, which is mm -hmm. more ballpark than I would say at the point where you can start sensibly um, not worrying about um, not worrying about anxiety for range and being able to go somewhere and back without worrying about it. Um, so in a Auto Express uh, review of the, web, of the car, they gave it a four out of five star rating and said it delivered on being the golf for the electric era, but it did criticize their interior. So that's what you want, but yes, yeah, so the cheaper version will be coming in the future, but at the moment we don't know when. What was the price you said? Thirty-eight thousand eight hundred and eighty. Okay, then uh, last item I have is um, the CBI and the Net Zero Infrastructure Commission are pushing for the government to up their game in order to hit the net zero economy by twenty fifty. Uh, the target that they set a while back, which has been they've been trying to get it earlier. Um, and these people are basically saying, if you want to bring it any earlier, we really need to step it up a little bit. Um, so the two main strategies um, that they're coming up with to try and decarbonize the UK's heating infrastructure is our old two favorites, electric and hydrogen. And of course, there is a third strategy, which is a hybrid of the two, because that's just how we roll these days. We have to hybrid everything. Although, to be honest, that probably isn't a bad idea. Um, but basically, in the electric version, we would need to expand our current renewable wind and solar by about 500%. Oh, yeah. So it's not a small ask. No, uh, oh, but that's only if you go down the route of, of swapping natural gas for electric. If we go down uh, the other route, which is to swap natural gas for hydrogen, we still need to two or three times X our hydrogen output, and we still need to double our electric output because of the um, the growth in electric cars and stuff like that. So um, okay. basically these big organizations that sort of uh, are a collaboration of, of the industry and the, and the businesses within them are, are basically pushing for lots of changes to um, the domestic appliances and things 
even as such as um, having hydrogen ready boilers um, so that before they go all hydrogen, they, they, they stop selling natural gas ones and have ones that can do both. Well, I assume that uh, every household in the UK is going to get the £5,000 grant from September onwards. Um, we could all buy a hydrogen or at least a hybrid boiler then. Like every household in the UK could, if they bought five grand. Yeah, but they want us all to do that on sim in September. No, Def they definitely want us to do that. <laughs> Suddenly have was it seventeen million <laughs> requests for a new boiler? But yeah, so yeah. that that is that is the news. Basically, they're up. In, things are happening in that in that arena. Lots of pressure going on the government to do something about it. That's cool. It feels like a really apt time to do stuff. Um, we've gone through a change radically right now. Yeah. Let's meet you with another radical change. Indeed. We need to learn to manage the resources that we have available better. Speaking of resources, Craig. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for the segue. Uh, so I'm today... <laughs> So today, yeah, chat about uh, resource-based economies, and it's something that I, I personally have been interested in for a long time. Um, Talked about it before, uh, but like years ago. Years yeah, this is it's, it's something that's been around for a long time. The idea of a resource-based economy it's it's just a very it's a very difficult thing to pull off because it's a very all-or-nothing concept. Um, a country like the UK, we couldn't go resource-based without the rest of the world joining suit. Otherwise, we could easily be destabilized by um, currency fluctuations in the outside world if we can no longer import uh, lithium uh, because the price has gone up. We might need to step we, back a bit and go, what, what is it? We do, yeah. I, mean, I know the basics, uh, so you'll be, you'll be teaching me the basics over again, but Thereafter, more yeah. yours. Cool. Uh, so a resource-based economy, kind of as it sounds, is a system in which all goods and services are provided and available without any debt or servitude. And servitude would be defined as any money, credits, barter. Basically, you get what you need, potentially what you want if the resources are available, and you haven't got to do anything for it. And that's the idea. Um, the why is uh, right now all resources should be seen as um, common heritage to all people. Uh, for example, no one owns the water. It belongs to all of us. Yep. So if we can figure out how to divvy that up properly, um, this, this type of idea really has a lot of legs. And it's, it's based on the premise that Earth is abundant. Um, it's a plentiful resource of everything we need. Uh, all we've got to do is stop throwing those resources away in just really poor, unproductive methods such as capitalism. Because so unfortunately... A complete replacement for capital is an alternative way of doing things. No money. You just have resources and then 
someone manages them? Um, well, not someone, something. The, the idea here would be um, it would have to be something like an AI. Uh, okay. it, it'd have to be some sort of artificial intelligence who can control, um, I suppose, the way of thinking about it. Imagine it, imagine like the internet of commodities. So we've got the internet of things, we've got the internet of knowledge. This would be the internet of commodities where everything is free. You give up any private rights, uh, copyrights, you produce things, they go out there and resources are freely available. That's what I mean where it would have to be all or nothing because it wouldn't just work for one country. We would all have to get on board. Um, so it would kind of be like all global resources would be managed by an AI who would act as if they were a public utility. You can request 40 tons of hydrogen to build these 17 million boilers. And the AI would say, hmm, we've only got 35, so you can make 15. That's, that's, that's what you've got. And then the answer is, okay, cool. And the AI's job is to be sustainable. So it would have a tally effectively of the world's resources, which would require some mapping because we don't actually know. Um, but you know, these things and the idea of these things are within our reach technology-wise. We can we can do it. But what about decisions like so uh, they're talking about doing a hybrid system to get us all over to hydrogen. So they're talking mm. about before they make a hydrogen border, they're gonna make a, a border that can do both. So that's if you like using it's it's using those same it's using the resources of the, the metal or whatever it is that's used to make the boiler. Um, to manage the other resource, but it's doing it twice for, I'm not entirely sure what reason, other than, oh. other than but, um, but let's say, but who then decides whether that was a good idea? AI again? Well, it wouldn't necessarily be the AI, I suppose. Um, I suppose to get deeper into this idea, this idea would effectively be a technocracy which is you'd have matter experts in charge of certain fields, perhaps. Like, we sort of do it now in democracy, but kind of democracy where the experts and advisors advise and make decisions rather than politicians. Yeah. So you'd have someone, you know, top of the field medically would make medical decisions, which makes sense. I mean, it happens today anyway, except they typically have a health secretary above them who make some other decisions perhaps, like how much money we're gonna give the NHS, and then the doctors who actually do the job have to just live in that world. But if the health secretary was actually a doctor, that probably wouldn't happen. Hmm. Obviously, so, a point, you know, who decides who's the expert? That's the cool thing. We have this um, entire subject called science, where, data, principles, methodology, nice. those type of things reign supreme. It's very, it's very easy to determine who's actually good at what they say they are. Whereas politicians, you know, they may talk the talk, but they don't necessarily walk the walk. An actual scientist is data proven to be a certain caliber. And the entire point of science is to be, uh, results have to be data proof. And, they are always getting proven wrong because new data is found. 
and that's perfectly fine. If society was more that way, where methodology was king, and we all have this general understanding, um, I think the idea is that right now science works globally all the time solving problems. It goes past all barriers of language, skin color, gender, none of those things matter because mm -hmm. it's science. Uh, it's all based on mathematics. They're all the same language. Scientists speak the same language. It doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. You, you give a concept of a car uh, prototype to China, to Japan, to India, to America, they'll build the same thing because there's no, there's no idea of, what's the word? there's no interpretation. It's a matter of fact. It's yes. data laden. So if society was that way, I think that would be very powerful. And to, it has to be that way in a resource-based economy. And I, I think there's no, there's no emotion-driven AI. It wouldn't say, you know, I could give you 10, I don't know, 10 tons of hydrogen to build all 17 million uh, boilers, if you wish. But the particular like you that much. So I'm only going to give you five. That, that scenario will never happen. It'll just be, this is what you can have. And you can have the rest next year and produce some more. And your answer is always going to be, okay. There's no agenda. No, the, That's just the way it is. I guess that because the agenda, the agenda is to try and make the machine that will make you money ultimately, isn't it? So... Exactly. Yes, you, you won't ask for a machine. Well, that's the theory, isn't it? You won't ask for a machine that you don't need because you might be thinking, well, I can make more money because I can sell them a, a hybrid boiler now and then in another five years I can make a whole bunch of new ones and I can make twice as much money. But you wouldn't have that intensive if... Exactly. ...money out of it. You'll just go, well, why don't we just go straight to hydrogen? Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the idea of capitalism... Uh, I mean, hypothetically, abundance, sustainability, efficiency, they're all enemies of capitalism because it's um, scarcity logic, I think it's called, where the idea is I can make you something that will only last a year and I'll sell you another one next year. There's no benefit for me to sell things that last forever. There's no benefit because I have one customer will buy it and then, okay, now that person's gone. You're no longer a customer. You bought it. It will work forever. But as a resource-based economy, you're very much encouraged to build the perfect hydrogen boiler and then chuck 17 million out there. And the perfect one would probably be modular. So when we get new technology, plug and play. Yeah, I need something like or something instead of something cheaper and easier. Exactly. We will build with yeah abundance efficiency, sustainability in mind. There's, got, there's bound to be some sort of still human decision-making issue somewhere along the lines because ultimately the flaw in this plan, it's got to be us because it usually is, um, that yeah. know, deciding to do, okay, well, I think we should do hydrogen. Well, actually, I don't. I think we should do electric boilers. Well, that, that word there, I think... I get wiped out in science because science doesn't say I think. Science says well, know, here's here's the evidence. Well, okay, true. So if if hydrogen versus electricity, that I mean they could be proven right or wrong. 
if if there's an if there's a need uh, to build 17 million hydrogen boilers, yet and there's some sort of mathematical evidence to suggest this will do X, and X is good and better than Y of an of a competitive idea, mm. those things could be competed against in real time. But again, you would still want the AI to make that decision ultimately, because otherwise then you have lobbying for well, I think this is a better idea, I think this is a better idea. Because if you haven't got money, you might still have, you know, reputation or some form of fame or something. People won't do yeah. it for. Potentially. I mean, the, the, the idea of lobbying would probably disappear too, because lobbying typically is for money. <clears throat> but, but yeah, I get what you mean. Rep reputation, yeah. So let's say Dr. X makes the best hydrogen boiler ever. Then um, uh, Dr. Y comes along and proves otherwise. Dr. Y. Yeah, always I, think, I think one question. <laughs> yeah, the best doctor ever. Um, so I suppose, yeah, that I suppose who can prove it? And it's not really proven it to peer review. It's proven it with data. Just wild. Um, they can they, they can run it in, in a simulation for the AI or via the AI. Yeah, like we 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 should before when we get to this world, we'll have we'll have the entire resources of the entire planet mapped. We'd have to because we need to know what's available. I don't know exactly how you do that. If we develop some sort of deep, deep ground sky technology where we can just literally, I don't know, pulse the earth and know exactly how many tons of tin exist in the ground. I mean, we could probably do that at some point. Right now, there's no incentive. They do it in Star Trek, don't they? They just fly over the top, test out. Yeah, it's got this, 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 and this. Should be good. We'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Kind of feels like it's got a massive electrode, chuck it in the floor, send some electricity through, whatever comes back. Ah, we know by based on the voltage we've lost, there's 42,500 tons of tin. Bang. Done. Boom. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably a thing. I'm sure Dr. Y will tell us. Yeah. But uh, I suppose on the outset, resource-based economy. What does this sound like to you? Does it sound ideal, perfect? This is the world you want? It sounds like, on the one hand, it sounds probably too good to be true type thing because it's just hard to imagine. Well, it's hard to imagine because it requires you to undo everything that we typically normally do. Um, yeah. There's also the fact that it has to be everyone. It has it to. Does. It can't, you can't even have like it, it feels like it's vulnerable to even a group or a person deciding that they want something different and then you know well, are we going to start having campaigns which basically say that the ai is is uh is abusing us or is controlling our lives or something and we're going to start seeing social media ads for because i'm assuming we can still have social media um, for all these things that aren't true, so that when eventually we go, well, actually, yeah, maybe we shouldn't let the AI make those, that these decisions because these ones are about, you know, humanity, and it just feels like it's still open to someone going in and screwing it up. Um, even if you got yeah. it, run, even if you got it running, and to get it running, I just cannot see, obviously, which is in itself, a problem. Um, but like, I can't see planet Earth having it it seems more likely that it will be an experiment done on a Titan moon or something one day where someone goes, right, 
we're going to try out this theory. We've had, we've had this one around for it was first coined in nineteen whatever it was, um, even if that, and then um, and then yeah, we'll we'll run it in Titan, and then it'll it'll run for about five years, and then something will go wrong, and then you know we'll just abandon it. Essentially, I mean, where, where's where's Musk? Where, you know, why why is not taking this model to Mars? Like Mars is going to be a resource-based economy. It has to be. Right. You should, we should tweet him, or you should tweet him and ask him: Is Mars going to be a resource-based economy? Because he might turn around and go, "That won't work." Maybe I, I don't imagine the people going to Mars are not going to be matter experts. Kind of physics, you have to be. They're going to be like top, like botanists, top scientists in their field. They're not going to be sending politicians. So basically, we're saying like going to Mars would be like going to university in the fifties or whatever. Like only the only the best in the class can go well, because they can't afford it because they're not allowed to go because Mr. Musk said no. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not smart enough. Stay here. Uh, I don't know, don't know, but I imagine that would probably be a certain degree of it. But I mean, it's not really based on intelligence. It's 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 just based on. I suppose it's based on use, usefulness. Like, if you are freed up 100%, you don't have to work. There's no incentive, perhaps, to do things. You have to be driven by your own desire to want to do things. And I think people like us, we are. Like, if we weren't paid and we can just sit down and try and design the best hydrogen boiler we can, I, I think we'd be ha happy for years. And then might get bored eventually, but then try and do something else. We won't ever stop and go, yeah, I'm just going to just lie down on the beach forever now because we get bored. Yeah. No, um, so I think when I looked into the form, I think I found the most interesting was more because the stuff we covered so far is like the high level feels too intangible. Um, the stuff I liked was the, like how the actual city would look um, and how we would live our lives. Um, they have right. like those circular things like the university or something was in the middle um and you would yes and you'd live on the outer ring and then the, the utility would be somewhere in the middle um and you so you could either you could choose to live in a like a high rise what we call them skyscraper type building and live in the sort of city life or you could go live on the edge of the circle um and you could basically feel like you're living on your own or with your family out in the sticks um, yes, you can choose. Before we get onto that, um, I just want to cover that the resource-based economy is not a new idea. It's been on for a long time. Um, was first coined by the anti-Gornish movement in Canada, and then was taken up by Jacques Fresco. And that's what you're talking about is the Venus Project, and yes. that is what he developed into. And before we chat with the Venus, but I want to chat with Jack himself because he seems like an absolute legend. Um, Isn't he? Hasn't he passed on now? He has. He was he like died. what's that? Like ninety odd or something when he. He was one hundred and one. Was he? Wow! Well done, him. Super, super old, and unfortunately, also outlived his kids. So, you know, pros and cons of being that old. Um. But yeah, I mean, Jacques himself, uh, born in 1916. He died in 2017, unfortunately. So a couple of years ago. Um, but he himself is a 
an American futurist. Um, he sees himself as a self-described social engineer. That's kind of what he was always trying to solve is the social problem. And what he invented to fix that was the Venus Project and all the, what you're talking about, the big rings and the prefab houses, all those type of things, transportation hubs. They were all effectively trying to solve the social problem of capitalism and moving away from a money-based system to a resource-based system. But um, the reason he was stuck with this and the catalyst was the Great Depression, which he was a teenager in. So, you know, he, he saw a lot of this happening around him. He lived through that time. And I think he must have got to the point where money was quickly becoming the enemy. And you know, he didn't really want to be involved in that. So he lived through great times of scarcity. He knows what it feels like. So he wanted to solve that ultimately. And he decided it was a social problem, not a technology problem. Even in 1930s, he believed we had the technology then to solve this problem. And arguably we did. I mean, we sent some to the moon 20 years later. So could we have instead spent all that money building a resource-based economy? Perhaps. You know, maybe the US could have done it and gone alone. Maybe that would have worked, we, we don't know. But um, yeah, he himself, uh, self-taught. So already up there is a top legend. He worked in a bunch of industries, um, building aircraft, uh, structural engineering, architecture, ended up as a lab researcher, researching social effects of mice. I mean, He's been around the block. Uh, he also once joined the KKK. Did he? As a social experiment to see if he could change their minds. <laughs> right. Sounds like a risky experiment. A very interesting guy. Yeah. Well, um, an excellent excuse. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm not. A member of the KKK. It's just a, a social experiment. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 As, as long as you keep a lab report, you're fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, he also went through a period of, when he was a teenager, he also joined a, a communism youth group. And after listening to what they say and basically disagreeing with most of it, uh, stood up and shouted out that Karl Marx is all wrong. And then was shortly expelled. Which is nice because... When you do talk about resource-based economy, a lot of people jump to communism and how they right. could be seen as the same way. And they are fundamentally different. Um, I mean, automatic communism is a failed idea um, because there's a person in charge. And that's the entire point of having AI in charge because people can't be trusted. So communism's there's, there's at least two types of communism that has happened with the Chinese type and the Russian type. Uh, speaking of the Russian type specifically, they effectively wanted to give everyone the same, which meant that um, people who were in places of privilege lost out, people in places of poverty gained. However, ultimately they all lost because they all at least lost something as they are working for the state and the state ultimately wins in that world. Right. And obviously people were getting 
killed, end up in the gulags. Uh, the same thing happened in China, except millions of people died because of Chairman Mao. Dark, dark times, communism and resource-based economies are potentially similar in the sense of they try and want to give everyone equal opportunities for resources, yeah. but ultimately they're not driven by people. It's a society change, it's not a person. It's, it has to be, has to be an AI. The corruption element, that's possible. Yes, and getting rid of money, I think, reduces corruption substantially. Because, I mean, if you have the ability to get any phone you want, I mean, not any phone you want, really, they'll only probably be only a phone. They'll be the best phone. Uh, why would why would you stop off 40 of them? What's the point? Yes. So, stuff like that would probably go. Um, something you probably quite like. Uh, in his midlife, since obviously he's lived quite a long time, he developed something called the Sandwich House. Uh, this was in the 60s, and it was the entire idea of prefabricated um, modular component-built low-cost housing, which came to about $7,000 for a house. Okay. And how did that work? What's the sound? So, what, what what's is the, uh, just prefab housing, kind of made from aluminium, aluminium components in some parts. So not quite a, a dome, but... He was going down that idea, and eventually the Venus Project came from all this, and domes, especially one big dome in the middle, and circular structures, yeah, became the ideas. And yeah, as you were saying, the, the Venus Project is built for efficiency first. So you have a big circular city in the middle would be the university, the school, outer rings would be shops basically the way you can get your things um, then outwards again would be um, all high built where you can live if you wish closer to the center outwards again outer ring would be more country style life if you want to live there instead and then the outer rings would be the agricultural sections where food is grown um in vertical farms yeah so, was vertical farms a specific thing? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about the perfect ecological future, it has to be the Venus Project, really. It's completely resource neutral, as a sense. The AI would be global. I mean, every city could also have its own smaller AI version. And everything is maglev technology to transport things back and forth cities. Certain cities could specialize in things. I mean, ultimately, it's down to the residents who live in these cities. Yeah, and I think there was even, um, I'm sure there was like a, an idea of, um, of scrapping country borders, scrapping countries, and having yeah. taken the same places that we already have, but basically recognizing that rather than it being a, a country, which has got three main places at the population, to see it as three mega cities that are spaced apart. And then basically you just live in the mega city or you live on the edges of the mega city. And then you travel from that city to another mega city. And that's it. Like there isn't anything in between, or if there is anything in between, it's for resources or solar farms or 
whatever else. Yeah, you you would let you would let the environment recover basically. You would live within your circles, which could also be on the sea, not necessarily on the land, and yeah, you would live there. But you could travel between cities using maglev, you know, very quickly, very efficiently. Um, yeah, I think the, the idea of it, the city itself. I mean, you wouldn't have cars, you'd have bikes, or you'd walk. They're not that big where you would need to do anything else. Uh, there's no actual sizes specified. So obviously these things don't exist yet. Yeah. But let's say a city is about 10 miles. So you could walk one end to the other if you wish. But at the same time, you could still house I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people. I guess it would just scale depending on the population. Yeah. I mean, you could just say maximum population of this one is 100,000, maximum population of this one is half a million, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, Jacques has been working this for decades. Um, unfortunately, he's died before he could see it to fruition. Um, his partner, Roxanne, uh, she's continuing the project now. She. Uh, the reason it's called the Venus Project is because it's based in a place called Venus in Florida. Um, they spent all their money and bought a thousand acre plot of land and they started building the prefab houses as a proof of concept. Yeah. So it's not strictly a resource-based economy there, but the idea is these are the things we could build. This is how it could look, this is how it could work. Uh, very, very clever inventions by a very talented guy. So, yeah, I mean, the idea behind the actual city itself is one thing, but it's the society change that needs to happen first. A move towards methodology, which I feel we're so far distance away from. Mm. I mean, we still have a lot of religion in the world, for example, which is almost the opposite of methodology. Because, like, for example, I think the, the, the idea was that an astronomy book is published today, you know, by, by next year is vastly out of date and another one will be published and that will happen every year forever. Mm -hmm. Whereas most religions hold a single book as truth over generations without any idea of updating it or anything. So the idea of methodology is lost perhaps on is that, most is people. Isn't that the one I, is it the same as the one I, um, if you were to take every single book that's available today and burn them all or dispose of them all, then the books you're talking about would come back and the others would, the others would not. Yeah, I suppose so. Religious books wouldn't come back. Um, things about star signs wouldn't come back because they're, in it well in, in a in a world where uh fact does actually you know run is is the decider of whether the things are published or not then you know they can't prove it so therefore it, it won't it won't it won't come back and in some cases you know it's just, if it's if you see a religious book as a as a story and not fact or not a, a description of what happened in the past then you obviously have no way of creating that Whereas even history that some books are written about, you can, you know, you can dig up the same stuff and you can find out the information again, uh, but you can't do that for those sort of things. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of those books are social context based, whereas science is a generic law of the universe. If we lose that all today, we will rediscover it just a matter of time. And if we find life on another planet, they'll have the same laws because that's just the way the universe works. And I think that's a very powerful thing that uh, the fact that scientists can work different languages and have no blocks, we could do the same with another planet, another solar system. It's, it's just it's very obvious the way to go, perhaps. But first, we need to move towards methodology. And I don't feel we're making a lot of progress. No, the problem is it, it's one because it does need to be all or nothing. It feels like it's a bit of a non-starter. You can't really, I mean, how do you even begin? You can't begin. You need to trash everything and rebuild from scratch, which means how do you, how do you, how do you even get to that? Mars the only possible way of doing it, of having it, proving it somewhere else in a, in a closed environment. And even then it's difficult because, you know, you're going to want to trade people that are probably most interested with, with the possible exception, although I'm ruling it out, uh, to, to Elon Musk, is they'll look at Mars as a, an untapped resource that they can profit from as opposed to a standalone thing. So hmm. it's going to be, you know, some descendant of... Uh, who uh, gets a spaceship one day, takes a hundred people with him, and starts his own colony. That way. Oh, oh, and you know, the top top of the range AI that he has to take with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing. We you know the AI isn't there yet. We don't have an AI that's capable of making those decisions for us yet. I think we do. Do you? I definitely think we do. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what, what the questions we would actually ask it, I think we could do that ourselves. I think they would just be algorithm based. If you want to build X, the AI will tell you if X is available or not. I think it would be a very simple thing, perhaps. Because yeah. it, you've mapped the Earth, you've told it how many tons of everything exists ever, and you say you want to build this, the AI could say yes, no. This is a menu you could actually build and it could smartly divvy out amongst the cities. And you think we currently have the AI that can do that without writing any actual software, as it were? To make a Boolean decision on resource count, yes, I think we can. A, a smart AI that can validate an idea, yeah, different story. I think we would just only matter experts in our room. But let's say we had, I don't know, a committee of some sort well, of mat matter experts, of matter experts, not politicians. Yeah. Yeah. Who can actually, I don't know, take an idea and be driven by, you know, exactly how science works today. Science built us up the chain. I mean, I suppose the important thing is if science is not popular science it may not get funding in the first place which means well, yeah. so i mean get research take our current problem with you know um do i spend money on working out whether hydrogen is a good resource to use uh because it's abundant or 
because it's still a bit of an unknown, or do I spend more money on solar and see whether I can improve the efficiencies of them and then use that resource instead? You can't answer that question unless you do the, do, do the test. You need to do the science in order to work out which one's more likely. And even then, you know, if you're measuring hydrogen today versus solar today, hydrogen might win in more cases because we have a theoretical understanding of the maximum that hydrogen can do. Mm. We don't yet opt for solar because, well, now that we've just realized that we can use some of the other light, well, if we didn't factor that in the first time around, then your theoretical number is going to be a lot lower. So you're just going to say, well, no. But there's no cost involved. What's the drawbacks? If hydrogen always wins against electricity and solar, so be it. Hydrogen being the most abundant in the universe would probably score quite highly on the AI's preference. It's like, can I have 40,000 times this? Yeah, sure. There you go. But, um, but that's not that's not all there is though, is it? Because if if our, if our if by doing the science and our technology improves, that can sway you towards you know the same reason that we've realised that we can use electric cars instead of petrol is because we've done the science and we've worked out that actually we can get that to work. I suppose the electric cars case, electric car came first, didn't it? Over a hundred years ago, but yeah. we shelved it because petrol was profitable. Yes, but we probably also shafted it because the technology just wasn't there at the time. It wasn't obvious at the time that we could get more out of it. Because until you actually do the research, you don't know whether you can get more out of it. No. But that's always a question that typically gets wondered because of the fact that it, there is no money to be made by asking questions. Um, and But there is lots of money to be made out when you make the answer. So it's just it's the issue with Unless someone like Elon Musk comes along and says, right, well, actually, I'm going to work out and make this to work and I'm going to profit from it in 10 years from now, then, um, you know, you're not going to, no one's going to do it. Okay. So do you think in this world you would just have competing, well, not really competing, I suppose they would be more collaborative because sharing results make sense. There's no competition because there's nothing to win. It could be reputation, as you say. That might be something that would drive certain people. But I think ultimately collaboration makes more sense because I think uh, the idea was that we are functionally selfish as people, which means we don't necessarily care about ourselves. We care about ourselves and what's around us because obviously what's around us also affects us. So we try to improve what's around us too. So functionally selfish would make us think my house would be better with this. But by proxy, if my house is maybe so as everyone else's, or at least a certain percentage of everyone else. So as humans, we probably will just slowly improve things and help each other out. Yeah, I'm a, well, I think, well, I think we're also, or some of us, more so than others, but instinctively competitive though. So I think there is is whether or not you can tame that competitiveness to, okay, we well, come up with a better idea then, as opposed to, you know, what, what happens in a situation where someone goes, I think I've got a really good idea and I want to test it, but I need some, I need some help to do it. Uh, and then, you know, the system says no, because I, I don't, 
I don't, you haven't got any proof of your idea. And go, yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the proof of the idea. And then it doesn't happen. So they, what, do they just not do it? Or do they just do it on their own? Because they don't like to be told no and they're human and they're therefore going to try things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I suppose it depends how you imagine this AI to be. Like, do you imagine a Skynet or just a generic resource counter? Like, maybe, maybe it can't make these decisions. Maybe these decisions are best place for people. But, I mean, there'll be plenty of people. <laughs> don't agree with that either. I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, I can imagine. So, I, I think of that world of where I, I go into the university and either I'm working on a project I've been working on for a while and I'm, and I'm interested until, I, until I've completed that thing. Or I know for myself I have some weird idea every day anyway. So... Maybe I have one idea one day that I want to do, but obviously I need to have access to other minds. I need access to um, resources in order to do that for bits that I can't figure out myself. Mm. At that point, I need I need some mechanism by which I could say, I, I, I can I have some people, please, and um, for some system to say yes. How do I, mean, I get that, that? That's already exists, I suppose. Like you know, think tanks. Like Dragon's Den, effectively. Yeah, but pitch, pitch your idea, and then people in the room will go, "Yep, I'll come and join your project. That sounds great." Sure, but we also know that it's uh, it's standard that you'll come up with an idea, you'll tell people, and about a thousand people will tell you you're crazy, and then one person will go, "Yes," and that's the world we're used to. We're used to a world where we have to get told no 999 times before somebody says. But ideally, if it's a if it's an economy which is designed to help us improve our purely based on resources and, and it's supposed to help us be innovative to improve for the use of those resources. You would hope that I wouldn't have to be told no quite so many times before I get the opportunity. No, I, I mean, I love the idea. I love the idea of just, you know, every day if I wake up and I'm feeling not like I'm just not in the mood or whatever, I'd have to go to work today. That's fine. Um, but most of the time I can go, there's a place I can go full of very clever people who are dedicated to doing something and not there because they have to be or because they're just trying to pay the bills or, or whatever, any other reason. They just want to be there doing stuff. That sounds like a wonderful day-to-day life to live. Um, yeah. And that won't be everyone, but there will be people there who perhaps don't have any ideas, don't really want the idea perhaps, maybe they've done it for already. And they just want to join someone's team. You know, and we're part of something. Yeah. And they're looking for someone like yourself to come with an idea and run with it. I mean, these things, they're going to be temporary as such. You know, with the, with the resources at your access and disposal, with no money as a hindrance, there's no reason why you can't bring something to prototype very quickly. And those people will be there to help you. And they're floaters. And, you know, there's no, there's no contract to say they have to stick with you. Like... They could peel off, they could join teams, they could more people could join you whenever they want. It's a truly, you know, community effort. Yeah. That does that does seem to work. When in a community based, you know, initiative where people are just pulled together, those things do seem to work. I can, I can imagine though that the um, the true the true genius true genius eye, the geniuses um, of our time historically have had a reputation for being difficult or whatever just yeah. <laughs> acceptable or something um, and you can see that those people just 
no one wants to work with them because they don't have to. It's not like they're being, you know, if they're being paid to, they'll do it because they have to. But um, if, they're not, if, it's, if they can choose whether or not they like the person, they go, no, nah, I can, you know, uh, I'm not going to pick someone over. I know there have been. Would you just not work with that person? Which people, which people not work with Elon because he's too demanding. <laughs> ah, this kind of shuts up. I want to get, I'm going to work with someone a bit nicer. Potentially, I mean, he he was difficult, wasn't he? But I guess if these are your worst problems, as opposed to people just stealing money from the poor, or whatever it is that all the other things that other happen that currently happen now, I guess it's a different world. A lesser of the two evils, but yes, there's still fundamentally the issue of how on earth do you start it? Well, one thing to think of as well is that our generation put into a resource-based economy, a lot of us wouldn't cope well. Only a small percent of us would. Um, this thing really wouldn't take off properly, perhaps, for another generation or two. Our kids, kids, maybe, where they're born into this world, they have no concept of money doesn't exist that's the other um, thing ed education's great you have to wipe everyone's memory don't you really because but our current generation yes yeah like but this isn't going to happen quickly it's going to be over generations it might take a hundred years to get to this oh well, you know we we'll be long gone but it's going to be society changes over time like for example you know the rise of atheism in the last 10 years between the 2000 and nine census, 2019 census, um, in the UK at least, has completely shot up. And that could have been multiple reasons. A, there are just more atheists now. People are turning their backs to uh, theism. Or 2009, people take themselves as Christian because they don't really know what to do. And that's one of the arguments to say that, you know, technically Britain is a Christian country. So if I ask you what religion are you, uh, Christian, could have just been an educational thing. And then maybe 2019 is a bit more clear what atheism, what agnosticism, all those type of things mean. So the numbers go up. But that could be an upward trend. 2029, we see it go up again. 2039, you know, we could be, that could be it. Never done. In our kids' generation, you know, religion could cease to exist. Um, not saying that's potentially a good thing or a bad thing, it's just in, in the course of moving towards methodology, I think seeing religion as we do today, the ancient Greeks, like we don't take Zeus seriously, why would we take any other god seriously? We see him as myths and, you know, just folklore. Mm. And nothing has been invented since, uh, I don't know, the Greeks were... How, how, how long were they? 6,000 years? Christianity's about two, 3,000 years. So, you know, maybe we've got a couple of hundred years left now. Okay. Right. So, yeah, so, 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 so the bash of religion. It seems like an obvious, uh, obvious example. <laughs> I'm not offended by it. Other people might. But, um, uh, yeah, so basically what you're saying is in, a, in about 100 years from now, our grandkids, or great grandkids, uh, will basically get sent off uh, to another planet, um, raised by robots, um, and then um, live in a resource-based economy uh, without never knowing whatever happened before. Potentially, I mean, you make it sound quite um, quite dystopian. 
that get sent off to these labour camps on Mars. <laughs> All I can, not so much sending off labour camps, it's just I need, I need to wipe, I need to have, they need to have no memory of what how it was before. Uh, they need to um, grow up being used to being um, basically told what to do by the robots uh, in, a, in, a, in a sensible way. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so... This doesn't feel like one of those things I can act on. Think about it this way, then. There's, um, there's a concept called generational paradox, where change happens faster than we think. And when we're confronted with the actual evidence of things, we often think it's wrong. Like, if you tell me a number right now, how long ago would you say everyone in Europe came from the same person? How long ago in the past would you say that was? Oh, Our, everyone in Europe's common ancestor. I don't know how to answer that question without potentially sounding very dumb. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's not scripted. Check it out. <laughs> how how many years have humans been on the planet? <laughs> okay. Um, us humans, as in Homo sapiens, about two hundred thousand years. I'm going to go with then eighty thousand years. Eighty thousand years to the most common ancestor in Europe. Yeah. Okay, how, how long then would you say for the, the world's most common, uh, for us all, every single person in the world today, to get back to our most uh, single ancestor that we all have in common, we all came from? Presumably it would be about 200,000 years. Nope. That's a good example there of the uh, generational paradox. <laughs> Europe. What? <laughs> in Europe. Only 1,000 years ago, did we come from a single ancestor? 35 generations. Only 3,000 years ago, roughly 100 generations, we were all related to a single ancestor. Right. Um, I mean, fact check all this, but it, it's meant to be like, that can't be right. Well, that's what my brain's currently doing, yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> hold on, so... Uh, if it was 200,000 years ago that we started. 200,000 years ago would be the part of the Homo race. Um, modern humans are about 20 to 60,000 years. But you're saying there's 197,000 years worth of human life before we have a common ancestor? Um, yes. And, How is that somebody even living, and somebody living today would be the common ancestor for everyone in 3,000 years' time. Mind blown. <laughs> it's it's just it's a mathematical formula basically. Another cup of tea before I can even focus on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, math, it's a mathematical formula in the sense of we obviously each of us have two parents, which who then have two parents, and they keep spanning out. But obviously, because there's more people around today than there were in the past. We can't keep multiplying, duplicating. So mathematically, we all have to come to one at some point. And that point 
in Europe is roughly a thousand years ago, and in the world is roughly three thousand years ago. That sounds more theoretical than actual, but okay. No, it's it's, it's very much um, it's mathematical fact. It's it's been accepted. That's that's typically the accepted time period. Um, right. It's a good it's a good book on this called um, the history of any everyone who's ever lived by Adam Rutherford. Um, discusses this entire idea and the idea of generational paradox. Um, he, he uses this to open up every single one of his presentations. Right. Because uh, he, he knows it messes with you. It yes. can't sound right. Yeah, it's a bit of audience participation, isn't it? Them going, what? No. It does. I mean, e even the concepts of uh, we're all descended from Vikings, if you're European. We're all related to kings and queens. Our ancestors would include King Charlemagne of France, um, roughly a thousand years ago. We all come from him, all of us. Um, and that's just basically how genetics work. Roughly in Europe, at least a thousand years ago, 80% of everyone who lived turned into us, assuming 20% roughly didn't have any kids and their lineage died. So 80% of everyone who lived a thousand years ago produced all 7 billion of us today. And you keep going back by a factor of eight and you suck in tinier and tinier and tinier amounts till you get to one. And that was 1,000 years ago in Europe, 3,000 years ago in the world. Anyway, yeah. complete, side, complete side note, but Good. On, on that realization, on that realization, change happens bloody fast. Yes. So 35 generations ago, we were all related to the same person in Europe. So who's to say in three to five generations? Whatever resource based with, Yeah. I mean, basically, I think we'll be in. You heard it here first, Except you probably didn't. But um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I hope someone does watch this and fact checks all this stuff because I had to double check it. I had to look it up twice. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's right, really no, cool. Nobody can not say you don't put your effort into this problem. I mean, you looked it up twice. That's that is right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So other than that, I mean. Will it work, basically? Like, we can say it could happen. And we, we can see how it could happen. And we potentially believe it should happen. But will it work? I don't know. I don't, I, one of those things I just don't know if it's possible to know until you actually just try. Because even, even when you try, you're going to find this, well, okay, you need to tweak that, you need to tweak this, you need to tweak that. And is that something you can tweak on the run? Or do you have to then go, scrap it? Sorry, right now generation, so not small kids. I don't know. Um, Jacques, Jacques himself, yeah, he doesn't like the word utopia. Uh, he's basically saying the Venus Project and the resource-based economy is not utopia. It's just a better version of what we have today using our applied technology that we have, which is quite a modest way of saying, I've no idea if this is the best way, but it's better than today. And I completely agree with that. I'll give him that. 
Uh, right. Well, hold on a second. Um, there is one more bit of news to be had. Oh, Justin, hot uh, off the press. Not uh, actually, uh, early, about an hour ago. Uh, half an hour ago, an hour ago, something. Um, so the the big the big news event of the day, um, which no one's going to hear about until tomorrow when we publish this, uh, is Tesla uh, are publishing their Q2 earnings today. Um, because they are, that's just a, they just do it every quarter. Um, but this one's particularly important because if they post a profit, then they are officially eligible to be entered into the S&P 500, which is for you, mm. it's a US stock index, which basically trillions of pounds goes into from all over the world. Um, and then by being entered into that same index, that means that a percentage of those trillions of pounds uh, goes into Tesla automatically. So if they get that, is expecting it to go a bit crazy. So Tesla releases the um, results and they delivered a profit. So bear in mind, every other car maker made a quite a significant loss during COVID. Hmm. Tesla did not. Um, trying to see whether I can see what the actual number is. So you're expecting a positive result today? I was expecting a positive one. Uh, analysts were expecting uh, a 14 pence per share loss. Mm. Um, when, you say, when you say was, uh, the announcement is in 25 minutes. No, no, no. No, it was about 35 minutes ago. 35 minutes or an hour ago. So it's already out. Ah. They delivered a profit. Basically, uh, it's all gone crazy. Um, they, so instead of a 14 cent lot per share, they've, it's a small profit, but it's still a profit of 50 cents per share, um, which basically, from, although it doesn't sound like much, 64 cents difference, it crushes. The expectations um so i can't read and talk at the same time but basically they've done it so nice so then the s p 500 which is america's biggest stock index they're now eligible for it they're not in it now but um now that you have to have the last uh four quarters average being a profit and the last actual one in profit as well um, and because they only posted a small profit, I think last time their average wasn't quite right, but this time they've had a profit for all four quarters and including this one. Um, and yes, so sure enough, they have done it, which basically has already sent the stock up about another five and a half percent, um, since the market closed at, uh, what would be 9 PM our time. So, yeah. Fantastic. And so, you are personally happy, I assume? Uh, I did, yes. I mean, I, I had, um, uh, I deserved lots of abuse for this, but I had trimmed back my um, <laughs> holding after the uh, rise to 1700 because I had been sort of invest, long investing in it and also doing a bit of short trading on them as well, just because I'm trying to learn the game, really. Um, so I had trimmed back when they were uh, went up to seventeen hundred. Um, I did buy a couple more today, 
before the news because I, I had a pretty strong feeling it was going to be a profit. So, um, so yes, I, I, I made some money on that today. That's all very good. Uh, I can't remember what 5% equates to, but... Um, $1,700 a share now. It, it was. It, went, it hit that about a week ago or so. Um, Bloody hell. Last, last I looked at it, was like 700, 800. Yeah, and it was only like 200 or something a year ago when I started investing in them. So, um, yeah. yeah they're crazy. kind of ridiculous. Another 80 to $90 per share up. So, yeah, Tesla share holders very happy right now. Hmm. It's shimmy alive. The old news tomorrow. I know. Well, yes. Well, and they're all buying their yachts. Yes. But, um, yeah, does, does, does Musk get a payout? Does this trigger another payout? Um, I mean, I, not not he, like he needs more money, but... He's already triggered his payout, I think, from uh, hitting certain... Uh, he had to hit a, over 10 billion or something for a period of time. Um, and so he's already got his... Um, yeah. it's, it's, when it's to clarify, it sounds like it's, he doesn't actually receive money, he receives um, options for stock. So, options to buy more stock as opposed to here's a sum of money. So, he's, he's now worth another five, fifty, whatever it is, billion more um, on paper. But obviously, if the stock market price falls to back down to 300 tomorrow probably not happen right but if it did then he would lose all that worth fair enough okay so now we should publish that this this episode as quickly as possible so that we're remotely current um and then yeah well first on i would love a chat about resource-based economies and post-capitalism it's nice for you to interject a bit of um, hardcore capitalism straight yes. in the middle of this. Yes, sorry. To, like, uh, <laughs> to talk about how a uh, current world works and basically what we'd like to see end. <laughs> yes, I, I hate, I'd hate the fact that I've just profited from Tesla. It's awful. We should definitely not be doing that. I just want a Tesla. That's what it is. If you just gave me the resource-based economy, you could just give me the car and then I wouldn't need to do this. It's an outrage. Arguably, we wouldn't need cars. Tesla wouldn't exist. Don't need to move. Musk, Musk would exist. Probably well, yeah. on the, he'd be on the research out, outpost on Mars. Yeah, yeah. He, he would have been working at some, you know, university somewhere, developing a cool car. She would have just maybe named after a old scientist who was particularly interested in electricity. I don't know. Pick one. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, not sure if the Edison Roadster has got him like sort of ring. But, um, I mean, if he does get a five billion payout, yeah, I'm sure the, the Venus Project wouldn't mind some cash. Kind of needs to get us meshed out a little bit, really, because it's going to take some time. And unfortunately... This is your act. You want, you want us to now tweet to Elon to ask him to donate some money to the Venus Project. That's your yes. chosen act for the day. I mean, that'd be great. Yeah. Are you, are I mean, you, pull, pull, pull yeah. some strings. You, you're, a, you're a shareholder. I, I have no power. <laughs> I was going to say, you go first and I'll, I'll retweet you. 
but ultimately, we want to get to this this version of the world as possible. But yeah, right now we're solving the wrong problems. Yeah. All we can ask people really to do in the, in the interim, surely, is just to at least try and think that way, even if you don't. Um, so, for example, um, if you remember, we talked last week about um, precious plastics. Um, and I've since spoken to some people about, you know, what they want to do. And I was asked the question, would you want, would you be happy to collaborate? Would you be happy to share your, your ideas with me? Um, as opposed to us, because uh, the guy I was talking to that doesn't live locally to me, really, he's quite far away. Um, and he asked the question of, you know, would you be willing to collaborate or, you know, as opposed to compete with each other? Um, and obviously I had the mental mindset that, well, it's not about money. It's about trying to use up as much plastic as possible. So yes, you need money in capitalist society in order to make the system work. But of course I'd share my ideas. Um, so yeah, all we can ask is that people think more that way um, and do what they're actually trying to do as opposed to just make money. Because generally speaking, from my experience, if you try and just try and make money, it doesn't work. Or it doesn't work. No. No, and ultimately doesn't make you happy either. That was included and it doesn't work. And you might actually successfully make money, but it won't be what you necessarily want. No. Um, yeah, so I, I, like, I like the way that uh, Jack himself summarized what he'd like to see everyone do. And that's uh, pledge allegiance to methodology. Amen to that, because that's not an appropriate word to say. <laughs> uh, we could reappropriate it to something else. All right, fair. I mean, pl pledge allegiance is already really a ticket piss thing, I suppose. Yeah, you made you made a quite uh, snide comment as well, which I, I quite liked. Is uh, we always ask questions when we spend money on helping people, but we never ask questions when we're bombing people. We never ask how much that cost. Okay. Fair point. We don't. I mean, it's definitely more of a US thing because when they're bombing people, it's like, oh yeah, there's a war over there. That's fine. Oh, how about this uh, national health service? Nah, it costs too much money. But how much money do you spend in Iraq? Ah, never mind. Sorry about that. I can't respond to that without becoming more political, uh, which we try not to do. So, uh, so I'll just yeah. not go. You know, mm. We, we, we can snip that part <laughs> for, uh, for none of our American listeners out there. Let's keep it in so people know that we are making a concerted effort not to be political. Yeah, we're not, we're not being political. It's not, it's not political. Even though it's very maybe, hard. Maybe, being political is a bloody opinion. We obviously do. Hypothetically, yeah. Hypothetically. How do you change stuff? How do you... How do you change the world from today and just start thinking about this world where the only thing really important is the carrying capacity of the earth? How do you change that opinion? I mean, it, it would fix the climate crisis if we thought that way, if everyone thought that way. Yeah, well, it's, it's becoming trendy now, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but because um, now, now we have more words coming from more important people about it doesn't necessarily mean we're getting more action. No. So the penis product is still quite small. I don't see a lot of um, traction 
like I've been following for a long time, but like they still don't have the amount of support, I would imagine something as revolutionary as this should. I mean, it's very, very early perhaps, but maybe in a hundred years, it'll be the thing. But I mean, it's, it's right here, right now. And it's a 101 year old come up with this idea and, you know, he come up with it a long time ago. It's inconceivable, that's the problem. Mm. Like, it's not just changing a policy somewhere. It's not just uh, getting a, a group of people to think differently. It's changing the entire world. And that, if, you know, if people don't think that they can improve education system, uh, how on earth do you think is anyone going to approach thinking, how, how do I fix this problem? It's, it's not just... The climate crisis seems small fry in comparison to trying to change every single country to go from capitalist or communist or whatever it is they currently do to a totally new system. It doesn't seem like it's something that it's not even any one person can do. It's almost you need every you you literally need everyone to do. So one person yeah. can't really make any difference. But yeah, what's been said before about many things. So. And that was wrong. It is. I mean, I I don't see the negatives in this world personally. I mean, obviously there will be some, and the problems will be different too. But I think there'll be different problems that may be nice to have than the problems we have now, which seem to be the same problems over and over, like world poverty, world hunger, wars, destitution, climate crisis. I mean, these these things have, have been around for a long time. Yes. Um, even though we pump in loads and loads of money into them, they don't seem to change. No. But 2020, yeah. Definitely different. There's a different feel about it. I hope so. I hope this, this time we've been through now, the pandemic, is changed things. Yeah. Because, I mean, this has hopefully brought the world a bit closer together. Well, two meters apart, but closer together. Nice one. Nice one. <laughs> cool. Right. Well, it's 20 past 10 local time, so we probably should think about wrapping it up. Oh, is it, we say times and stuff now, do we? I'm sure you, I'm sure you said earlier that um, the Tesla thing was half 10, but you got your whole GMTs and BSTs messed up. Right, no. Um, well, I went onto a YouTube channel and it basically said that it was going live at 10.30, so I assume that's what it was. But then... Uh, I've never seen. trust YouTube. Never trust YouTube. That's why we. Only, that's why people listen to this on uh, Google Podcasts. Indeed. Don't listen to us on YouTube. What? What are we saying? No. Oh. I don't know. If, right. if, you're, if you're on YouTube, you can see the irony in my face. You can, if you can read uh, Craig's facial expressions, you're doing better than most people. <laughs> right. I, I, I would live well in this world where methodology is king and emotions have no part. I mean, they'd have to have some part somewhere, obviously, but not in policy and decision making. Yes. Yeah. We're done. We are. Right. Okay. Well, then uh, all that's left to say is thank you for joining us. Um, remember to think, educate, and act. And we'll catch you next time.